You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we'll be discussing benchmarking your profit and loss statement. A dentist might understand the purpose of the profit and loss statement, but may miss the forest for the trees in the scope of leveraging the power of the profit and loss statement. Understanding the use of benchmarks in reviewing the profit and loss statement and making management decisions can be a game changer for practice owner. Our guest is Trent Watrous, a dental-specific CPA from Nashville, Tennessee. Trent continues to work with practices in various levels of success, from startup to fully operational, or actively struggling to overcome prior financial decisions. Trent, it's a pleasure to have you on Dental Talk. Thank you, Philip. I'm excited to be here. And again, for those of our listeners who have not tapped into the other podcasts that Trent has done, he's done two terrific ones. The first one was Understanding the Balance Sheet, which is something I really recommend. If you're thinking about owning your own practice, or even if you're not, you should tap into that. And the other one was the profit and loss statement, Does It Matter? Excellent podcast. So today's, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about benchmarking your profit and loss statement. So tell us what a benchmark is. A benchmark is a measure of, uh, of some standard that you can compare against to know whether or not you're relevant. In the context of a dental practice, benchmarks are very helpful. Let me give you an idea. It's very common, Philip, for the field to, to use the benchmark of a hygienist seeing eight to nine patients a day. That's kind of a standard. So if a, if a hygienist came along and said, I only see four patients a day, when you know the benchmark or the norm is eight to nine or maybe 10, you would look at that hygienist and think he or she is underperforming. Do you see the comparability there of how the term is used? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Very important. So it, it's, it's important that we keep the concept of what is the benchmark. It's just an industry standard, but it gives you the ability to know how are you performing against not an absolute rule, but a standard that you can guide your decision-making process by. Yeah, okay. And when we relate that to the P&L statement, the profit and loss statement, in general, is a dentist's P&L statement ready to be benchmarked? It might be or it might not be. Let me, let me explain that. If your P&L or your profit and loss statement is grouped correctly, then it would be easy to compare your numbers against the industry benchmarks. Let me put some meat on the bones there of what I'm talking about. A profit and loss statement has many categories on it. But in a dental-specific profit and loss statement, you have the basic six. Six, there's dental supplies, lab fees, clinical wages. And that's the wages for your hygienist and your dental assistants plus payroll taxes. Then you would have your administrative wages plus payroll taxes, your occupancy cost, and then your overhead cost. So those six categories need to be grouped together of all the accounts that would readily make your profit and loss statement very comparable to other practices or to a national benchmark. Is it tough to get those national benchmarks for so that you can make that comparison? You know, it's not. They're out there. Um, here's a couple of rules of thumb that I would give you. If you look at, for instance, uh, lab fees and dental supplies, they're normally 6 to 8% of collections. When you look at that range, if you're in the range, great. If you're slightly over, there may be a reason. That could be the mix of procedures that you're doing. Clinical wages, about 19 to 20% of collections. 
uh, admin wages eight to nine percent. The occupancy expense is about nine percent of collections. Of course, it's more of a fixed fee, and then your overhead would normally be about twelve to thirteen percent. Mm-hmm. Those excellent uh, information for our listeners. Well, I was going to say those are uh, again those are they're posted out there. You can find several sources for them. Uh, what they give is the reader of those financials the ability to go. You know what? If the national average for clinical labor is 19 to 20 percent and a lot of rural practices come in at 14 or 15, that's great. But if it comes in at, I'm going to exaggerate, 50 percent, you would immediately be able to identify, hey, something's amiss when I compare myself to this national average or this industry association that you're a part of. That's where the benchmark comes in to be of great value. Yeah, and are benchmarks absolute rules? Professionally, I do not see them as absolute rules. Um, I meet with a lot of folks who have made some tough decisions about their practice using benchmarks. And when we went back through them, they understood, man, I, I guess I got a little anxious there or I was anxious and didn't understand why. I see benchmarks as strong guiding principles when they're founded upon solid financial data. They can be a guiding rule that keeps you on course, but doesn't always take into effect. Maybe you're in New York City and the cost of labor is much higher there compared to a practice in rural Texas. So if you go by an absolute, you'd say, well, then I need to let some people go. Well, you need those people possibly to run your practice. Whereas in Texas, the cost of labor is lower, so they may come under. Make sure that your decisions are based upon the understanding of where did that benchmark originate and what additional pieces of information would you need to make sure it's kept in context. So when you go over a profit and loss statement with your clients, do you bring in the benchmarking to that meeting? Is that something that's, I do. that's so that's part of your service? It, it, it actually is, Philip, and on our financial statements, on our profit and loss statement, we always put the, the national averages on there. And our clients tend to understand why they are high or low compared to those. For instance, if someone says, man, my, my dental supplies are at 9.5%, Trent, and the national average is 6 to 8%, what's wrong with me? I can look at that practice and say, now you remember, uh, Dr. Philip, that you do more cosmetic procedures and you choose to have these higher-end supplies there's a reason why that expense tends to be higher. And they're like, oh, that's right. Sometimes it can actually be a great guiding principle if you look at lab fees and dental supplies. So let's say that someone has a CEREC milling machine and their lab fees are at percent and a half, but their dental supplies are at 14%. What we might realize is that their milling blocks are getting recorded in dental supplies when they actually relate to lab fees and the numbers are okay. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It put it into context. Why was one number high and the other one low? The account transaction was mis, uh, misclassified mm -hmm. and the numbers are back in the range of reasonableness. So you got to take it all in context, got to yeah. keep it into perspective, but those benchmarks, that's why we put them on our financials. So the reader can say, I see where I'm high, I see where I'm low and make changes. 
It seems like what you're doing with your clients is very similar to what my general physician does with me when I do my annual physical. We get the results back and next to my results are all the normal ranges. Anything out of the range gets red flagged and then they, the doctor's office discusses it with me and say, hey, you know, your cholesterol level is too high or your sugar level is too high. And you could identify those areas where you're uh, not in optimum health. It sounds very similar to the same concept with what you're doing with your clients on their financial health. That's a great example. Uh, that's exactly what we're looking at. He, he's giving you the norm. He's giving you results. And then you can readily identify if you need to make changes. Exactly. Yeah. So it seems to me that uh, this is a, not a common thing for CPAs. Well, I actually was an endodontist for uh, 13 years I practiced. And my CPA gave me all the information you're talking about, but didn't give me any benchmarks and never really mm -hmm. commented on the health of the business and evaluated well, it. That way. So what you're offering is very unique. Well, it is. And that's the beauty of working with someone who's industry specific, uh, Philip, is that you can narrow the benchmarking down to uh, almost a granular level so that the information that it's you're gleaning from it changes the behaviors in how you manage your practice. And that's the end game is we want to all have the most profitable practice, the steadiest, stable practice possible. And these benchmarks can guide us in that direction because we recognize where risks are located. We change things accordingly. Yeah. And you probably answered this question already. We're going to wrap up this podcast because we have um, another one, your last of the four series coming up shortly. Uh, which we're excited about. My practice doesn't have enough cash. That's that's a great title. But to wrap up this one, what is the greatest benefit to a dentist for having a benchmark P&L statement? You know, I think the greatest benefit is the ability of the dentist to have the opportunity to have the greatest financial reward. And let me explain. It saddens me when I meet a 55 or 60-year-old dentist and they don't know how their practice compares to other practices. And we see where they've been under, uh, they have a lower profitability compared to their peers. And within 5, 10, 15 minutes, I can point out a number of things that they were simply a deviations from the benchmark. And they're mesmerized by, you mean that's all I've got to do? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's all you need to do to improve your profitability by, seven, eight, 12, 15%. And the time that they lost in their practice lives because they didn't know what their financial condition was and didn't have it benchmarked against their peers and changed those things, it saddens me the amount of profit that went down the drain for no good reason. Mm -hmm. So having a well-benchmarked set of numbers that you look at regularly you discuss with your dental CPA, you understand what drives those numbers and how you can continue to improve them, that's making the most of the hard work you put into your practice as a dentist. It's it's capturing the opportunity that's before you. Yeah, well said again, Trent. As our listeners already know, you are a dental-specific CPA from Nashville, Tennessee. And what's the best way to reach you, Trent? If one of our listeners have, has a question or wants to just reach out in general? You know, I think the best way, just Google me. I'm Trent, T-R-E-N-T, Watrous, W-A-T-R-O-U-S. 
Google me, it'll come up, Dental CPA. Uh, you can find my contact information out there and send me a line, and we'll uh, try to get your question answered. Thanks again, Trent, for your time. We look forward to having you on the next podcast. Thank you, Philip. It's always good to be with you.